Hello, Future Tribe. We've got a doozy of an episode this week. Uh, no, no logos or branding changes uh, when it comes to the design aspect, but there is uh, some branding changes from a from a company name perspective. Uh, rolling into it, we've got Vistaprint buying Crello, which is a Canva competitor that we're actually a huge fan of and use and have been using for a couple of years. Vistaprint also bought deposit photos. Uh, Facebook changes to Meta, uh, which is their new name. More, a lot more on that. Uh, Instagram lets everyone share story links now. Uh, so that's the link sticker in your Instagram stories. Dolomites is finished. Uh, very relevant if you're an Aussie, uh, Aussie kid. Um, and LinkedIn launching a freelance platform to compete with Fiverr and Upwork. Yeah, we'll also be discussing uh, Google is, well, Google might not be the default Android search for much longer. Um, AMP is bringing less revenue into publishers. TikTok is testing a tipping function. There's a few T's in there. Apple forgot they added a notch and finishing off with a direct integration between MailChimp and Shopify and what this means. All right. Uh, that's Kelsey. I'm Jermaine. And let's roll the intro and get, get into this. All right. I am sure that everyone's heard of Vistaprint. You've heard of Vistaprint, Kelsey? Absolutely. It's kind of the, I think it's the name I think of whenever I go, I need like a business card or anything printed professionally. That's probably the first name I go to. Yeah. Wow. I think uh, Officeworks, if you're in Australia, has a lot to say about that. Fair. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Vistaprint's massive. Um, I mean, so is Officeworks, but Vistaprint is a, uh, a global phenomenon when it comes to printing merchandise um, and they've had a Wix integration. So they've been sort of working in the web space for a little while. Um, they own 99designs, which is a, a, I guess, a platform for freelancers uh, to, to deliver work through. Uh, sort of relevant, I guess, talking about LinkedIn later on. Um, but the big news today, uh, for me at least, is that they bought Crello um, and deposit photos. So Vistaprint's gone from being this place where you order your designs on merchandise to being a place that can do everything. So Vistaprint can let you, I mean, produce it, um, either get it produced for you by some by their 99design service um, or let you produce it using a graphical editor like like Crello, uh, which they've rebranded to Vista Create, I believe. Um, yeah. Um, and then you can source your stock photos as well, which is really handy when we're talking about the website side of things. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, all said and done, you can produce it uh, or they can produce it for you and send it in the mail. So to me, this is a an interesting move that they announced both simultaneously. I think it's a big sign that they are really going strong into this space. Um, I've heard various stats, but something like 30 or a third, a quarter to a third um, of business, of um, 
individuals in the US will have a business um, over the coming years. Um, and I'm sure that'll increase. And this just really puts um, puts the power to them because no longer do you need to, you know, contact printers or uh, contact a gra graphic designer. You can just get it all done through through Vista print um, all the way through. Yeah, awesome. it's, it's really just, it's become a one-stop shop. I think previously, if you were going into business, it was really the case of you had to do your research to know, you know, if you're going to a printer, what information to give them and all of that sort of stuff. And it can be quite complicated sometimes because of all the different options and all of that. And, you know, you'd be paying a graphic designer quite a bit in the past. Um, and, of course, if you're wanting to design your own things, that was a whole different issue because you know what programs do you need do you need to be specially trained all that sort of stuff all of a sudden you go to one spot it's nice and easy there's a pretty logical flow i'm sure everything would integrate and there would be little prompts of you know once you've finished design do you want to give this to the printers what's going on there so i think it's a really smart move um and it would be i don't know i feel like there's definitely other companies that have done this none that spring to mind right now but i'm sure that there have been a few that are following a similar path, but it'll be interesting to see what other companies start to do this kind of thing where they really get the full end-to-end -end process of one particular idea, if that makes sense. Well, I, I would say, you know, for most businesses, it's it's a goal certainly to do that. And um, Vistaprint's taken an interesting approach because they've just acquired all the other business units to make it all, all work, which um, is quite a smart, move i would say because they don't need to try and perfect that and you know spend years trying to trying to get all these different things right they just buy companies that have got it right and then um those companies can keep growing they get to integrate into vista print um and everyone's really really happy um mm -hmm. and and you know i don't think personally i don't think it you know makes it or or sort of threatens the existence of agencies, etc. I think what that's it a does, different market, really. Exactly. If if you don't want to worry about it, if you just want to leave it to the professionals, reach out to someone like Future Theory, who's us, or any other agency, and we can take care of it all for you. But if you want to design something for yourself, or if you're just happy to, you know, just do it all yourself, um, especially sort of looking at that stat of people getting into small businesses or starting side hustles, this is extremely low barrier to entry. I think there's a free product um, off Crello um, and they'll be very, they'll be free or very cheap offerings across the board. And then your real cost is paying to get something printed onto either business cards or whatever else it may be. But, you know, by that stage, it's also fairly, fairly affordable. Um, so interesting move uh, all said and done one thing i forgot to mention as well is if you're wondering why there's a concrete wall <laughs> behind me if you're watching the video you can't i don't think you could hear a difference um, of where we're talking from but i should mention that we're at uh, fd studio which is our new studio space um it's been a interesting few months sort of moving into this space and then going into lockdown just as we got ready to announce it all but um, we'll have links to the space and you can see photos and see a bit more about fd studio as well um, i'm sure we'll link to it in the description just wanted to mention that put it out there uh now that now that we're slowly coming out of you know at least 
a state of where we need to lock down um, often. Uh, eventually, once we don't have to wear masks indoors, Kelsey, I'm looking forward to us just sitting across the table, having a chat and this, this podcast sort of really being um, a lot more personable than than video mm-hmm. than video calls you're, yeah the way it was originally supposed to be exactly you're like a wall away like yeah. two walls away. <laughs> not, not that far away but um we've got to be responsible at the moment and follow the rules <laughs> anyway moving moving into something that um is actually it, it it makes sort of the whole video calling uh sort of um conversation interesting in in that facebook's announced that they're changing the corporate name to Meta. That's similar to Google changing to Alphabet. Um, I don't remember when that was. Do you, Kelsey? I'm still not, like you keep mentioning Alphabet, but I'm still actually not aware, besides you mentioning it, of Alphabet as a business. I just only know Google. So I can't answer that one, unfortunately. (laughs) Well, I I think you you sort of make that point um, and... um, to be fair, most people probably won't notice that Facebook's changed the name to Meta because Although I've we're seen like about fifty the... articles about it today. Same thing happened when Alphabet was announced. So maybe you just weren't paying mm. attention. Maybe. <laughs> so, so essentially, what's happening here is that I did think it was weird when they started calling the company Facebook and the product Facebook as well. Um, so what we're changing here is not the name of the platform the platform continues to be Facebook, but we're changing the company that um, oversees it all, the company that owns Oculus, Instagram, WhatsApp. Oculus is gone now, though. True. They're, they're renaming Oculus as um, into something else. I forget what it is. Um, and I watched the 11-minute cut-down version of the whole announcement. Um, I don't think... I'm. I assume it went for like an hour and a half, just like every other tech event these days. And <laughs> who's got the time for that? So we'll include yeah. the 11 minute um, video link um, put together by the by the team at CNET. But um, I watched it and I thought it was it was kind of weird. It's not that surprising. Uh, Zuck, Mark Zuckerberg, um, the Zuckmeister, was a bit of a robot. If you watch the video. Um, not not that weird. I think he's been called a robot for a little while, um, and it's it was sort of weird. He he joked about, you know, in in this AR, AR augmented reality sort of world, there was a someone else who was choosing the avatar to be a robot, and he makes a joke about it, and it's all a bit sort of tongue in cheek. But um, I think what ultimately what Facebook is trying to do is they want to become the what i want to call the operating system for your social life um you or or, or your like interactions and when i say social life i think i mean how you socialize with the world and with individuals um the name meta though like metaverse (laughs) i don't know Mm, it's 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 a neat it's a weird one i don't really know what it means myself i hear people using it as like a descriptive word for people that are a bit like edgy and all of that sort of stuff but yeah, it meta, doesn't really yes. mean a lot. Yeah, well, the metaverse, I've just looked it up for a formal definition. The metaverse is a speculative future iteration of the internet made up of persistent shared 3D virtual spaces linked into a perceived virtual universe. So like a like a virtual existence. Um, mm-hmm. And so really what they're trying to do at meta is 
trying to bridge that gap. So we talked about Oculus, which they bought, and now they've changed the name. Oculus does um, augmented reality goggles and sort of gaming. So that's how they're, they're talking about like a hybrid life. So you might sit at your physical desk um, next to your physical like colleague who's there in person, but then they're talking about how the next desk over could be in augmented reality. Um, you could you could interact with augmented reality objects that are on your desk or in your, like within your space, um, and then look over and there could be either either a hologram or an avatar of a colleague sitting there because they're coming in from uh, that they're, they're, they're sort of being fed in from their own setup of whatever it may be. So um, it's all quite sort of weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. It's making me feel kind of unsettled thinking about that kind of scenario. It's making me think of like Wally kind of vibes of like where we're going to end up because everything's automated and you no longer have to get up and go and talk to a colleague, for example. I mean, we're, we're doing this on a video call. I don't know if this is just like the very early iteration of where we're going to end up, but I don't know. I feel like there could be some issues that pop up with it. For, for sure. I think there's definitely going to be issues, but I mean, see, I like what Facebook does. I think you know, Mark Zuckerberg deserves respect, but at the same time, he's a bit of a robot and, and he's the head of a big corporation that does things that are more for profit than for the benefit of people. But, um, he does talk about things like um, not having to commute to work anymore, uh, which I think opens up the possibility of, say, living in the country, but like working in um, a way that feels like you're going into work, but doing that in a digital sense so you don't have to physically be there. I think in the developing world, it pro probably raises um the benefits of you know not necessarily needing to build out road infrastructure but instead needing to focus on the communication side of things the internet side of things and don't get me wrong i think all said and done you know facebook at one point was were flying essentially blimps and drones around with wi-fi um, and enabling wi-fi in i think it was in africa so ultimately facebook hit this problem where they were like listen not enough people have internet to keep using our services. So they literally decided to give people internet so they would sign up for Facebook and they'd make more money. So um, that's what it's driven by at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> they're talking about stuff like subsidizing devices or selling them at cost to increase adoption. So this is a multi-billion dollar organization just saying, you know what, we just want everyone to have it and we want to make it really cheap. Um, Amazon has done that successfully with their tablets and the Amazon, like, didn't you get a uh, Amazon yeah. Mart? Yeah, I don't shop too often on Amazon, but I signed up or I went to buy something. They said, hey, sign up for Amazon, 30-day free trial, free shipping. So I went, yeah, sure, why not? And then they sold me a $10 Amazon Alexa, which I was like, oh, all right, may as well. And then canceled my subscription, which probably goes against what they're hoping I'd do, but I got an Alexa out of it and now they can spy on me all the time. Exactly. And um, it's part of your life, right? So they've sold you a $10 device, which they probably lost money on. But for sure, every time you look at it, you think Amazon. Um, yep. Every time some, I mean, we're mentioning it, like it's that classic, yeah. you know, we're talking about it now. So um, <laughs> they're, they're getting doing... all my search information and all of my music requests and all of that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. What time I wake up in the morning, yeah. everything. I mean, how much information 
can they just get by just being present like always listening like you would hope not always listening but but who knows (laughs) and um if you didn't think it could get creepier um some of the stuff that facebook were talking about was like getting better at tracking how tracking a person's face and emotions and working um better with face tracking when you have like masks on and or a beard it's something that gets in the way um and developing technology so that avatars so your virtual avatar can make eye contact with the person you're talking to which is I think, <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. Don't get me wrong. I yeah. think that's, that's what it's going to take to create experiences that are just so lifelike or real. Yeah. Like, I think like... there's concern there, though. I remember hearing a while ago, I want to say years ago, and I don't know where this came from, but basically with animators, a lot of the time when they're doing movies and TV shows, they actually need to, like, bring back how realistic the animations are because then there becomes this disconnect between the audience and what they've created where it's like almost lifelike but people can tell that it's obviously not real and then there's this discomfort so they actually have to bring it back and make it more cartoony so that it's less like scary and all that sort of stuff so imagine talking to something in the virtual world that's so lifelike but you as a human would still be able to tell like this is off, this, this isn't normal. And it, I feel like there would just be a lot of discomfort and, I don't know, disconnect. At, at the start, probably, but, you know, I guarantee you Facebook is going to try and get to the point where they can track every single pore on someone's face and map how that would behave and react. Um, it's getting into the realm of creepy. Um, I do wonder, you know, you have all these big, like, companies with with insane amounts of money in the bank um yeah what they have the power to do and what maybe governments should be doing to try and like intercept this we've talked about in the past that governments are often reacting um rather than being proactive because it's these private companies that push technology to the next next level um but maybe this is one case where they need to sort of step in and and uh, not allow certain things but um yeah, talking about Facebook or well, Meta, uh, one of the Meta co- other Meta companies, Instagram, has launched uh, Story Links. So that's like the link sticker that mm-hmm. used to be a thing I think reserved for uh, people with a certain amount of followers. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. I don't know if it was like a verified thing or businesses that had yeah particular amounts sort of to show that you're established enough um but just the regular old joe or the regular small business with a couple of hundred followers couldn't do any of that so it was classic link in my bio every single time so i think this opens up a good opportunity for those smaller businesses um to be able to yeah put in links into their stories and if there's i don't know crowdfunding things or important information that's you know user shared um so you know campaigns that are shared across thousands of people's accounts they can now all link to the website where it's meant to go so i think that's really positive and a good step um it'll be interesting to see if that's something that will contribute to people staying on the platform or not because i know for me as a individual and as somebody who runs a business account it's very frustrating that we can't put links into things and it's just always trying to get people to go from story or post to profile, to link, to wherever it's going after that. 
it's not fun. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a bit of a removed sort of like you're asking them for way too much, um, really, when someone's just scrolling through social media. Um, I also wonder what this has what this would do because uh, from memory. Actually, yeah, Facebook's got, or Instagram in this case, has the native browser. So I wonder then how much of this stuff um, Facebook can track um, and how much how much that would do for them in terms of analytics and if they would even give us those analytics as, a, as additional power for, like, business accounts. Um, and... I've heard interesting sort of thoughts about this because some people say that it's going to lead to more spamming on stories like spam links and just dodgy things, but, um, and and it's sort of taken away the exclusivity. I think, um, there's a lot of things that technology has resulted in that sort of makes you go, okay, if you have, you know, the, the cotton buds sticking out of your ears in, in terms of the AirPods, that's a certain status symbol. That's a certain thing that you can sort of hold over people or, or flex on, on the gram. <laughs> um, and, and feel like link stickers, that, that was one of those things um, for better or worse. And now they've opened it up to, for everyone. But I don't see from an Instagram point of view, I don't necessarily, apart from the verified tick, I don't know why they would want to keep things locked down to certain people because the more features they have, the more people can use those and, uh, you know, hopefully would improve their retention. Mm, it's definitely one of those things I've never understood why they didn't let us do easy linking, why it was so restricted. But maybe they've started to listen. So that's exciting. It, it might just be that they were testing it out for a little while and now they've sort of enabled it to see, like, who knows how much they've refined from their, their, their back end and what sort of data points they're picking up there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Dolomites has, has finished. Uh, this yes. is a Commonwealth Bank initiative. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit of an interesting one. So Dolomites actually started in like, I think it was 1931 from the article I read. So it's what? been around for a significant amount of time. And it's a, it's a big ethical gray area because it targets kids, school-age kids, and it's a program that they sort of marketed as helping kids and parents understand the power of saving. So it was a case of you'd bring in this little yellow booklet on a certain day each week filled with a couple of like gold coins, hand it off, it would be taken to the bank and deposited, and then you get your little yellow book back to put in your pocket money for the next whenever. I loved it. I, I was a Dolomite, and I think most people around our age were Dolomites as well. Um, but finally, <laughs> governments have cracked down and sort of said, this is not ethical. There's nothing that's showing people are learning to save from this. It's really just, um, I can't think of what the word is, but indoctrinating kids into the Commonwealth Bank. I mean, and I'm, I'm still with Commonwealth because I can't be bothered to move or go anywhere else. And they've just been, you know, always there probably because I was indoctrinated as a kid through the Dolomites program and just never, never thought to change. So it's, it's a bit of a concerning one. Um, There's always questions when it comes up around like marketing to kids and what you can do, what you can't do. And I'm sure there's a lot of regulation around that, but Dolomites from 1931 to 2021, it's done apparently. (laughs) 90 years. I think it's um, more, I think it's eye-opening that this could have run for that long. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, And I think 
from the article I read as well, that Commonwealth, um, like the valuation of the Dolomites program to Commonwealth was in the range of $10 billion. Wow. Which is, I mean, obviously we're talking banks that are dealing with massive numbers anyway, but $10 billion on one little school program where they deposit a couple of gold coins each person, $10 billion worth of sort of lifetime value that comes out of that. And that's, that's insane. Well, exactly. I mean, this is how much money do you think like they're going to have to now spend to make up the, the lost revenue there or the, the, the lost indoctrination, indoctrination, that's probably a word. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. Like we've, I've, I've sort of contemplated how much we can reach out to universities, for example, because, um, and whether, you know, we go present at unis or get, um, students as interns, um, not just for the helping students side of things, but just the simple, you know, guess who's going to be the a marketing director or a CEO in the future, it's the students. So, you know, for us to get in there and sort of help them out, um, has that marketing benefit. Now we've got to really work hard for it and talk to universities and get them in where, uh, the, the Commonwealth bank could just, well, a lot of banks by the sounds of it used to have, or used to do educational sort of branded content, um, Mm -hmm. And they can't do that anymore. Um, no. <laughs> apparently, the their whole thing was that parents really valued Dolomites, and that was their defense for sort of keeping it around. But yeah, they tried to justify. Say, uh, they'd have to. Like, there's no way that they're going to say no. It's like really good for us. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Um, they wouldn't go down without a fight for sure. Exactly. But I mean, how many? In my opinion, our generation hasn't been that great at saving so really are they i mean did you learn a lot from saving through dolomites do you think or do you think uh (laughs) well i think my um contributions actually just came from mum and dad handing me a few dollars on the day of our little yellow book having to go in because i i mean i don't think we ever did like chores for money at home it wasn't really that case it was more like you're living here you're going to contribute and you're not getting paid yes. for it, but we'll pay for your meals, you know? Yes. So I think I don't know if I learned necessarily to save through that program. I've learned to save other ways from my parents, but yeah, I can't say the Dolomites had a significant uh, impact on my life besides being my lifelong bank because I couldn't be bothered to change. Well, and, and there's that that as well, right? The The friction to change banks is so and then the more they put up those walls the more you want to stay in like i started and i'm still i've still got a westpac account um i have a combank account not because of dolomites but just because i think i had to open one for like one of the student societies but again it's too annoying to close i've still got some money in there it's just gonna do its thing um same with westpac like it's too annoying to close though you know, because you've got to go to the bank. Like, they could make it very easy. They could just let you go online and close the close the account. But, of course, they're not going to do they're that. They're not going to do that. They want your money. <laughs> it's not in their interest. Um, so I think it's fair to say that it doesn't really have a lot of value apart from the value that it presents to ComBank. Um, I don't know. I think about time, if you ask me. Banks are under a lot of, 
a lot of threat from crypto and all these smaller digital banks, et cetera, that are, that are coming out. So um, this is just another one of those things that's um, putting pressure on them. But moving on to LinkedIn rolling out its freelance marketplace. I mean, and when we say LinkedIn, we really mean Microsoft because they're owned by Microsoft. As far as I know, this is the first move, and I'm trying to think, surely it's the first move of like a freelance marketplace nature by any of the big players. Um, yeah, it's an interesting um, move. I was thinking about it in the context of LinkedIn, obviously being a social network, and it's the only social network that really is work-related. But I also feel like even though it's work-related, it's very restricted to a particular type of work. And that tends to be sort of, I think, in the marketing space, anything that really requires networking, um, executive level sort of stuff. But very what much that looks like? like professional yeah. services. Yeah. So then bringing in this freelance platform to compete with Fiverr and Upwork. And I think Fiverr and Upwork, I'm not super familiar with them, but my understanding is that it's a lot of sort of graphic design um consulting again professional services but yeah but yeah um digital well digitally digitally deliverable professional services yes. is what i would say yeah i just think that this will open up a new avenue of potential accounts or users i suppose into linkedin who are in that freelance space oh, yes. and previously weren't super keen to go into linkedin and have that really manual networking kind of thing that they'd have to do because this gives them a proper platform to build that network and build a reputation on LinkedIn where there are professionals that want these services. So I think it's a really interesting move. I think it's a really smart move. It'll be interesting to see how it does play out and whether it can compete with Fibre and Upwork, who are obviously reasonably established in that space. Um, well, but yeah, apparently... I mean, it's, it's bringing the work to the audience. Yeah, apparently they ran a closed beta in the US that led to 2 million users. Now, that doesn't say, I, I assume that's 2 million people interacting on the platform, whether they're uh, sellers or buyers. I thought it was, um, yeah, an increase in 2 million users from the testing, was my understanding. I could be off on that. Well, it's saying that, um, this is the TechCrunch article saying that it's already picked up 2 million users from among the nearly 800 million users. So okay. um, I think, yeah, it's just 2 million users were sort of interacting. But again, I, I, like, I wonder what that number really means. Like, is that sort of, you know, Kelsey going on from her LinkedIn to check out the marketplace or is it you buying something? It's almost certainly doesn't represent the number of like sellers or service providers on there. That's way too big a number. Um, but like I said, I think it's interesting that this, they're the biggest like established company, Microsoft, to get into this space where they have a platform that delivers services like this. I mean, Facebook has Marketplace, but it's nowhere near the same. I feel like, see, with Fiverr and Upwork, they have a reputation for a certain quality of work, right? And... Facebook Marketplace versus, say, something like Gumtree or eBay, they certainly have their reputations, but those reputations, we don't directly correlate with the brand or with the company itself, where when you do professional services like this, I think you start to correlate your brand with the quality of those services. So if you have inferior service providers, I think that could, quote unquote, cheapen the LinkedIn brand. 
But then again, maybe it's a good way for Microsoft to get into this space without putting the Microsoft name on the line and it's just the LinkedIn name on the line. Yeah. I don't know how LinkedIn has been performing, but it'll be interesting to see how this has an impact. Is I mean, I have LinkedIn, but like, I don't think I ever actually go on there and scroll or do anything because it's just so full of those inspirational, I picked up a dollar today and I gave oh, it to a homeless person. Yes. It's like, oh, I okay, can't so deal with those. Okay, that's, yeah, that's no. all it is. Or like I, I, you know, grew up with a family of mice and um, didn't, <laughs> didn't have food for 10 years and yeah. now I own a pest control company. No, <laughs> that's sadistic. But uh. um, but it's just that sort of stuff like that I, I, I want to see work-related things, uh, not people patting themselves on the back really like, oh, and I'm not doing this to, you know, uh, pat myself on the back. But just saying that if more people gave, you know, ex-prisoners a chance that they too might find their next VP of sales. Like, it's just silly. So I think, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I wonder if it'll cheapen the brand. I wonder what sort of spaces they'll end up, end up being. I think Fiverr and Upwork, you know, have a certain reputation. Even talking about 99designs, certain reputation there. Um, especially if you're a professional within any of those spaces. So I guess we've got to wait and see. Um, jumping from one big player to another one, Google might not be the default Android search on um, Android devices for much longer. This is essentially uh, being brought around by companies, um, sorry, not companies, countries, um, and in this case, Australia's ACCC, saying that it's just, you just need to, like Google, you need to provide options. Because at the moment, you, you you see your search bar, it's Google, that's all it is. Um, mm -hmm. You don't have an option to change it. Um, it is the case on iPhone as well, but that's because Google pays Apple an insane amount of money to, to keep sort of being the default search engine. Mm -hmm. To me, this... I mean, this is how ingrained it is. I didn't even realize, I didn't even think that we needed a different option. Like I never looked yeah. at the search bar and thought, I really wish I had Bing on here or Yahoo. I don't trust yeah. those search <laughs> I think it's a classic case of what we've discussed a few times in terms of governments trying to regulate and catching up with it. Because as you said, it's gotten to a point where Google has such a monopoly on the search space that you don't really consider other ones. And there That's are the like word, a minority. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like Google, you, you Google, Google it. Is the verb. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there is minorities who are using other ones. I think DuckDuckGo is something you mentioned the other day. Some of these other weird ones that I've never even heard of. But I think it is important to have variety in there so that Google can't continue to be such a monopoly. Obviously, they have a good product and everyone does all of their SEO and all of that sort of stuff for Google. But I think that it's important for that to be regulated so that they can't continue taking up every little bit of internet space and life space without us realizing before we're completely controlled by Google. The the thing with Google, though, is that they've kept innovating because I, I, I think in a lot of spaces, competition leads to more innovation. But for whatever reason, Google's just continued to continue to innovate in the search engine space despite not really having a competitor. Like, mm. let's be honest. Well, it's like, probably preemptive in that case then because if they stopped innovating, something else would come up and people would be like, oh, Google's rubbish. They've stopped doing X and Y. 
there's this new person on the blog, let's try them out. But if Google continues to innovate, then they are keeping every competitor at bay because people will just look at it and go, I don't want to compete with Google. I can't compete with Google. I don't want to try. Or, and this is a, this is a good segue into the next topic. Um, was it a, was it because of the financial gain that they had by to, to make by making all these different changes to the search engine um, and how things are displayed? We've talked about a few different search features um, and potentially could be money related because you mentioned, um, well, you pronounced it as AMP, which I don't blame you, Kelsey. You're not a developer. You're not in the space. But, is it not um, AMP? It's AMP um, because AMP, oh. I think, is a big financial. Okay, so that's who I thought this was um, about. So I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, AMP, I'm somewhat familiar. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. This is um, AMP um, or AMP is, let me look up the um, AMP websites. I think they're called Accelerated Mobile Pages. There you go. Um, hmm. It was originally created by Google. And essentially what they do is, they strip back a lot of the content. I th you, you've probably noticed it's once in a while, Kelsey, when you click through the search result on your phone, it pops up in like a very bare bones display. Like there's no ads floating around. There's no real background color. It's sort of just text and that's it. Um, Google pushed it for a long time. And I think WordPress encouraged it as well or automatically encouraged it as well. Um, but what's come out is that it's actually led to less revenue being pushed through to website owners and publishers, which is not a good thing, which is obviously not something that um, someone like Google would want to want anyone finding out about. Um, it's come out uh, as part of some unredacted antitrust complaints um, from Google. And this is just directly from Google internal documents. So it's something worth mentioning for developers out there i was never a fan of amp i think you just build a website so well that you don't need this artificial like you know just extract text get rid of everything else sort of set up to make your um, website's mobile uh, experience good enough i just think that that's just that was just too far um but yeah, it looks like there were there were financial reasons because Google had to pay people less. Really, ultimately, that's that's what it was. Um, or, or at least Google get, gets to make more money than than everyone else involved in that piece. Um, so, I really had to mention that. Keeping the topic on money, uh, TikTok is testing a tipping function, um, which allows you to tip creators. Which mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's, Twitch lets you do that. You should yeah, I was going to say, I think Twitch is the other platform that does that kind of model. And as an Australian, I find it very weird. The thought of like watching and consuming digital content and then being like, yeah, this is great. Here's five bucks. It's a really odd concept to me, probably less weird to like Americans and other countries that have tipping culture. Just, I don't know. It doesn't sit well with me. Just pay people properly the first time. Yeah. <laughs> support them further by sort of making your own decision around, you know, how much you want to tip someone. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it does, it does sort of increase. And I'm sure we've mentioned this previously that TikTok's going to want to monetize and see how they can monetize moving forward. And this to me is just a way of saying, you know what, if you want to, if you want to, you know, give some money to someone, do so. Um, I do wonder how much, 
they will keep though. Users must be 18 years or older to send tips to creators. Um, oh, and you don't even have to be following the account to tip them. So you can just tip whoever you like. Um, it is limited sort of release. Um, and it looks like accounts must be in good standing on the platform and have at least 100,000 followers, meet an age requirement and agree to TikTok's tips terms. Um, it's a lot of teas, but I wonder, I just can't see, they don't seem, oh, any money tipped to creators will go directly to that individual. Okay. For now. <laughs> yeah. That, that's what I, I want to say. <laughs> that's an interesting one. I really thought TikTok would take more of a, step, a share, but oh well. Maybe, do they get to hang on to your financial information and then when they add you know paid stickers and things like that they've got a they've got a user who's already um into their into their info and it makes it very easy to buy i know that that that's certainly like a, a thing for me when i when my card details are already there it's very easy to just go yep do it yeah very true maybe that's what it is um mm. weird but Moving on to someone, moving on to Apple, someone who's used to taking a lot of money, <laughs> a big cut from everyone. I'm just on, just going on with my segues today. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it, Kelsey, but uh, if you're a listener, leave a comment. Tell me what you think about my segues. Are they good or are they sort of dad level jokes? Um, mm. <laughs> but Apple seems to have forgotten that it built a notch in the MacBook Pro. Yeah. This is something we touched on last week, actually. We had that conversation where we were sort of saying, how will the notch interact with things? Turns out, not well. Um, sometimes you have... Notch well. <laughs> God, that's, that <laughs> one's a bad one. Um, yeah, so people have been reporting on various um, programs that pop up. So a probably good example is maybe some of the Adobe suite that will have lots and lots of tabs across the top. And all of those tab options just continue until they get hidden by the notch. And you can't click on it and you can't do anything. It's just a menu item that's disappeared behind the notch. And I just thought that's ridiculous. Um, you, I, I don't know how you introduce something like a notch and don't come up with fail safes and, you know, foolproof ways to make sure if you've got a menu bar, maybe it will like do a second level or it will split the menu bar. I don't know how, but just something else than what, you know, nothing. Just do something about it. <laughs> Anything. Yeah, it just seems insane to me. How do you overlook something like that? Because it was one of the first questions you'd asked, actually. That was like one of the first things you thought about when it came to this notch. So I don't know how during all their planning and everything, they didn't go, what happens if there's more than five menu options? <laughs> well, um, there's a video of a user. Like, to be honest, I've been trying to even find how the cursor or mouse um, interacts with the, the notch. I just haven't seen anyone do it um if it was if the new macbooks were more affordable i would have just said just let's, let's just buy one and check it out um but i just can't go and get myself to that that <laughs> level um but there are oh this is snazzy labs um who's a who's a big youtuber um hold on so what's he saying oh gosh 
<laughs> There's just stuff behind the menu bar and he can't see it and he's hovering over it. Look at that. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That's just a massive oversight from Apple. Oh, so the mouse jumps. Oh, there you go. That's annoying. Wow. And then disappears. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Hold on. What? Oh, that's a DaVinci Resolve. And the thing here is, wow. So the thing, I mean, really, we'll have links to the original article by The Verge. So um, if you're listening to this, you should go um, use the links to really get that information. But um, these are not small like players these aren't like random you know mm -hmm. small like developers who are building software we're talking about no. davinci resolve and the <laughs> adobe creative suite yeah and it's not a niche Pro. case that's for sure no well it's a it, i mean it's 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 a niche device but this software is used exactly by those like for yeah. the device it is nowhere <laughs> near a niche case you would think that it's everyone who uses that device yeah i just it's, I just it's mind blowing <laughs> like how and I, I mean knowing apple i think they will blame well in the past they've blamed the users they've said well i think when um was it antenna gate when people found out that holding a one of the iphones a certain way ruined its um i think it was internet connectivity or the phone signals signal drops so Got at it. that point yeah, I mean, Apple then blamed the user for holding the phone the wrong way. How dare um, you hold a phone that's meant to be mobile <laughs> and movable? That way. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. Um, and like we mentioned la last week, they're the they're the same people who put in um, a charging port on the underside of a rechargeable mouse. So this is somewhat expected for, a, but but really weird for a company known for their design prowess or yeah. at least the effort they put into design. Um, yeah, it's a weird one, but the last, the last one, the last topic for this week's episode is that MailChimp and Shopify team up in an e-commerce boost. Tell me more about this one. Yeah. So, I mean, it sort of says it in the title, MailChimp and Shopify have partnered. So they're basically doing a direct integration between the two platforms. Um, MailChimp traditionally as the you know newsletter, email kind of software, but they're, as I think we've discussed in previous episodes, branching out into sort of adjacent service offerings. So I think I just wanted to mention this one because it was interesting to me for these two to pair up because, of course, you've got a lot of probably e-commerce platforms that would be using MailChimp to send out their newsletters for, you know, sales and all of that sort of stuff. So having that direct integration with Shopify just removes all sorts of barriers to purchasing. And I think that's really exciting. Um, the other thing that the article sort of mentioned was around the analytics that people will be able to access. So it'll basically combine your analytics and MailChimp and Shopify, which I imagine will give you incredible customer insights about who's clicking on things, where they're going, whether they're buying from your emails or not, because um, I think that can be difficult to track sometimes and all sorts of other stuff. So it'll just be interesting to see how these two interact going forward and how like what that will mean for some of these smaller businesses who use platforms such as Shopify and MailChimp. 
Yeah, this is also interesting given what we talked about at the at the start with Vistaprint acquiring another company. This is, I mean, this is all the benefits of an acquisition um, without a company having to acquire the other, though I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, either one of these companies comes out and says, we just acquired this <laughs> other company um, mm-hmm. at, at some point. Um, I'm trying to remember though, was MailChimp bought recently? Uh, I don't know if it was bought. I think we discussed its valuation. It had like had some crazy valuation maybe. Ah, yes. Yes. Don't remember what it is off the top of my head though. Oh, yes. Um, It was bought by Intuit. Sorry. Uh, So it was bought by Intuit um, for $12 billion. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if Intuit reaches out to Shopify to buy (laughs) Shopify as well um, in in time. But um, these sorts of integrations would have been in the works for a long, long time. Um, but like you said, Kelsey, I think it, it sort of puts more power in the hands of the consumer. Um, in this case, small business owners, which is never, ever a bad thing. Um, so I think my big takeaway from from this episode is that there's a lot happening for to make it very easy for small business owners to do a lot of design and websites and production themselves. Um, and the scary takeaway is just what Facebook's doing with the with the change of name. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm I just feel sad about Dolomites to be honest. I get it and I agree with it closing, but there's a little part of me that has a very strong connection to it and the memories I have around it. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of feels like, you know, Vegemite stopping production or yeah. something of that scale almost, isn't it? For yeah. um any any Australian. Um, saying that Dolomites doesn't have probably the international recognition that no. uh, something like Vegemite has, but in Australia, I would say Dolomites is, I mean, if mm. Vegemite, Dolomite, they, they sort of even go, go hand in hand. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> thank you for uh, joining us on this episode of the podcast. As always, we've got links to everything that we've talked about in the description, um, including some bonus links for things like uh, the 11 minute video that CNET put together about Facebook's meta announcement along with all the other things that we talked about and multiple links where it makes sense to give you different perspectives. Um, As a reminder as well, don't forget to join the Facebook group. Link for that in the description too, uh, where we talk about these sorts of things and um, try our best to bring you as much value as possible. So thanks for listening to this episode. Catch you on the next one. Yeah, catch you all next week.